children are dismissed for their program, their lesson, and they will be learning another song uh, to minister to us on the next Lord's, Lord's Supper Sunday. So we're looking forward to that. Do you have any anxieties this morning? Right? Anxieties in our own heart, anxieties in our mind, anxieties in our homes, anxieties in our church, anxieties in the world. And God invites us to cast our anxieties on Him because why? Because He cares. And Satan would like to convince you that He doesn't care. And He does. We're going to see that in the text this morning. We're looking at the storyline of the Bible. And the Bible, rather than being a, connection, you know, a collection of disconnected stories teaching small moralistic lessons, we're discovering it's a single story from beginning to end. And it answers the question, especially here at the beginning, uh, Genesis 1 through 4, what's wrong with the human race? I don't know if you watch the news or you read the news or you avoid the news, but either way, you're hearing about the events of the world within the last 30 days. What is wrong with the human race? How do you answer that question? And then we're going to look, beginning, Lord willing, next week at the first four chapters of Romans, and we're going to discover what God has done about it. He doesn't just let it remain wrong. What has He done about it? And then we're going to look at the last four chapters of Revelation, and we're going to discover how it's all going to turn out. It's all moving to a certain conclusion. Now, we've gone back to the beginning. We've gone back to Genesis to answer the first of three questions. What is wrong with the human race? Or what is wrong with the world? And the Bible's single answer to what's wrong is a single word. But it's a word most of the world doesn't want you to use anymore. And it's the word sin. If the word sin is avoided or retired or rejected, how will you explain the war that just broke out between Hamas and Israel just yesterday? If you're not going to use the word sin or evil or some kind of terror, what answer will you give? Or the war atrocities of Russia and Ukraine or of Azerbaijan and Armenia or the genocides that have happened even in recent history, whether Jewish or Bangladesh or Darfur or Rwandan or Armenian? How do you answer what inspired those events? or hostage-taking, or kidnapping. Yes, these are heavy topics. Just this past week, a 46-year-old man kidnapped a 9-year-old girl in upstate New York, and thankfully she was found. But why? Well, is it just him? Is he just more evil than everybody else in the world? What answer will you give if sin and evil are not the problem? Well, then we'll run to terms of sociology or environment or education or psychology. And there are helpful terms and ideas in each of those studies and fields, but they don't answer the problem fully at its root. 
the real root problem. The language the Bible uses gives us a clear and single answer. So please open to Genesis 4, turning your scriptures there. And in Genesis chapter 4, you have the first mention of the word sin. Now in Genesis 3, we saw sin played out in the Garden of Eden. And it was independent action. It was saying, we are going to determine what is good, not God. And sin has many different layers. Matter of fact, I think there are about 50 Hebrew terms just, for, just to define and describe and discuss the concept of sin. But here you have the first mention of the word sin, and it is found within the narrative of Cain and Abel. I want us to look at three things from this narrative that, that we can learn about sin. The deadliness of sin, sin's deception, and then the ultimate defeat of sin. J.C. Ryle states in his book Holiness, he says, A right understanding and knowledge of sin lies at the root of all saving Christianity. Look at Genesis 4-7 first use of the word sin, God in responding to Cain. Now that's going to be important in a little bit. God is talking to Cain. Cain talks back to God. So let me ask you, does Cain believe in God? Yes. God asks him, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Again, sin has many definitions. Independent action of Genesis 3. And here you have something. It's a picture like this predatory beast about to leap onto Cain. And God warns him. It's like he sees the African lion in the thicket and he says, Cain, it's right there. Be careful. It wants to leap on you. R.C. Sproul said, Every sin is an act of cosmic treason, a futile attempt to dethrone God in His sovereign authority. Has God said, You shall not eat? But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, You shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That is very clear. It's a very clear, single prohibition. In Genesis 4, you have a stealthy man-eating predator. Its desire is contrary to you. Sin is there personified as a beast. The narrative is powerful. Look at verse 8. The first family illustrates the deadliness of sin. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. It doesn't say what they spoke about. There are some other translations that make it sound like Cain has invited his brother out to the field that Cain is familiar with. Cain was a farmer. They see this as premeditated as he speaks to him to get him out of sight from mom and dad, or from whomever, so he could kill him. And the verse 8 finishes, And when they were in the field, 
Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Notice the picture. Sin, like a crouching predator, wants to leap on you. Be careful. Rule over that. Cain then becomes the very sin he should have avoided. It rules him, and he becomes that predatory beast that leaps onto his brother and kills him. Don't ever think that you control sin. That somehow you can play with sin and keep mastery over sin. What else is interesting is here you have the first two brothers. And sin did not need time to advance. It's not like Cain started telling a few small lies, little half-deception here, started stealing one of his brother's flock. He launches almost immediately into murder. Look at Genesis 4, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? I love how God asks questions. He did this to Adam and Eve, right? Where are you? Well, we heard you in the garden and we were afraid because we were naked. Well, who told you you were naked? All these questions. And by the way, God is not seeking for information. It's not like He didn't know. And Adam and Eve's response is a little different than their, than, than their oldest son. And where they said, where they started blaming one another, but they're dialoguing, they're interacting, and God is trying to bring through questions. He's counseling them. He wants them to own what they did. Look at what Cain does. He said, I don't know. Get out of my face. That's a loose translation. (laughs) I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? You can take care of Abel, can't you? Sin is, among other things, an improper heart attitude toward God. It is independent action, Genesis chapter 3, but it is also an improper heart attitude. I don't know where he's at. You deal with him. You're God. It's arrogant. His brother is dead and his soul is now dying. That's what sin does. It kills. Let me read to you James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. By the, word, by the way, the word tempt is different than test. Tempt is to seduce you to do wrong. God never does that. He will test you to prove you, but He will never tempt you. Verse 14, James chapter 1, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, it's this picture of something that's forming in the womb, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth, what is the next word? Death. Do you know that sin always kills something? It kills your own soul, it kills relationships, it kills others. In Genesis 4, it is the death of Abel, but it is also the death of Cain's spiritual vitality. 
and his countenance falls. Derek Kidner says that is a Hebrew idiom for depression. Sin always has consequences. Derek Kidner said sin is shown with its own growth cycle. The context is worship. We're going to see that in just a second. Both brothers come and bring an offering to God. The context is worship. The victim, a brother, and while Eve had been talked into her sin, Cain will not have even God talk him out of it, nor will he confess it, nor yet accept its punishment. That's the deadliness of sin. Secondly, look at the deception of sin. That's part of the nature of sin. It is very deceptive. How many of you like to be deceived? Right? Not a single hand. I remember one time working at a warehouse. That was my summer job. And we moved furniture and we moved pianos in the heat of humid South Carolina. And in the morning, I didn't have time to get the protein I needed through eggs. So I went to one of the little vending machines and I got out one of those little cartons of milk and I got out what I thought were coconut donuts. Those little, you know, the little packs of very healthy, very high value, (laughs) high value carbs. And I love to just put one of those in my mouth and follow it with milk, and at least I had sweets. And I put the first one in my mouth and I spit it out because it wasn't coconut, it was mold. And I am colorblind, so I didn't pick up on the green nature of the not-so-white-powdered donuts anymore and used the rest of the carton of milk to wash out my mouth. No one likes to be deceived. This narrative presents Cain and Abel in the context of worship. The narrative really is brilliant in what it's doing here because you have really the first looks like offerings next to the first murder in a religious context. They both bring a sacrifice to God. One is accepted by God. The other is rejected. But it's difficult to discern why. And people have expounded on, well, God wanted you know, the, the sheep and it involves blood and all that. Yeah, but the text never says that. It simply says one was received, one was rejected. You know, it's, and, and the beauty is, at this point, Cain and Abel look similar. It's not like, you know, Cain's not going to church anymore and he's trafficking humans and he's stealing from poor people. They both look good. That's the beauty of the narrative also. It doesn't follow the neat lines that we like to put down. Both bring an offering. Cain is a farmer, so he brings the fruit of the land, probably vegetables. Abel was a shepherd, so he brought the first fruit of the animals. So what's the problem? Why was Cain's rejected? Well, sin, like worship, is a matter of the heart, first and foremost. And as Cain and Abel grow up, we're brought brought to the question of what is acceptable and unacceptable worship. And I want to give you a few clues here. The clues are in the adjectives to describe the different sacrifices. Look at Genesis 4, verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Cain's sacrifice of 
Farm produce has no qualifiers, so it's possible he brought just ordinary vegetables that cost him very little, which would also be a reflection of his heart. And Abel, on the other hand, brought to the Lord the firstborn of his flock. He didn't know if he was going to have more than one that year or ten. He brought to him the firstborn out of faith that God would bless him. And of their fat portions, there's, there's a seeming kind of excess here, which would also reflect the heart of the worshiper. Another clue is in Hebrews chapter 11 that looks back on this passage and tells us what was involved in Abel's worship and what was missing in Cain's. Hebrews 11.4 says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. It's the same thing that the Scripture will say about Abraham because he believed faith, he was, it was counted to him as righteousness, God commending Abel by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Not exactly sure what that looked like, but Abel offered to God a sacrifice from faith, from belief. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Now, did Cain believe in God? We've already asked that. And a lot of you are like, yeah. Did Cain believe God exists? Yes. He's talking to him. Okay. And he talks with God, though arrogantly, but he talks... He believes God exists. He interacts with God, albeit in a dishonoring manner, and he sacrifices to God. Now, does that disturb you? That someone can believe and talk to God and worship and be a murderer who becomes a wanderer and a fugitive. Very early on in Genesis 4, we are starting to get an answer to what's wrong with the human race. We are, we are starting to see the exceedingly sinfulness of sin. That it is deadly and it is deceptive. And it comes down to really Cain's attitude. He's not seeking God according to God's standards. He doesn't seem to want to please God. When God interacts with him, he says, go away, that's not my problem. Which means we can believe certain facts about God and talk to God, but still be in rebellion to God. James 2.19, even the demons believe and shudder. So faith is more than believing or faith is even more than talking to God. A saving faith and acceptable worship involves humility and reverence and honor and submission. And Cain's heart was absent of these. By faith, Abel offered to God, but Cain exercised neither faith nor love. His heart was dead because of sin. Let me read you 1 John 3.11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And we're all like, yes, 
Yes, we believe that. But then it's almost like he goes from fifth gear into reverse with his next statement. That we should love one another, we should not be like Cain. What? Who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. That was the distinction in faith. Cain offered to God what he saw fit out of an angry, murderous heart. And Abel offered to God a sacrifice of honor and humility and true worship. And I love, I love the mercy here. I don't want you to miss God's grace. God asks Cain in Genesis 4-7, If you do well, will you not be accepted? By the way, this was already after the rejection. He already received Abel's offering and he rejected Cain's. But God gives him a second chance. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And God was helping him understand something about your sacrifice is not well. It's not good. Because worship is always first and foremost a matter of the heart. Here's another clue found in Cain's response. Look at Genesis 4 verse 5. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. You know, it's hard not to think of the first missionary from Israel sent out to a people that were hostile, called the Ninevites. And Jonah eventually and reluctantly goes. And if you just go by the four chapters of Jonah, he preaches in the Hebrew a five-word sermon that God's going to come and judge all you pagans but there's no promise of repentance and grace and goodness. And at the end, he's sitting under the gourd and he's angry. And Cain also here is murderously angry. And Jonah's not unlike him. Because Jonah would rather God kill everybody in Nineveh including the children, the 120,000 who can't discern between their, their right hand from their left and also much livestock. And Jonah doesn't care. It's a sad, sad missionary novel. See, by sin by nature is deceptive and subtle and it hardens a person spiritually and emotionally. And you know that's one of the importances of us gathering together and being unified. Listen to what Hebrews 3.13 says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are watching over one another to make sure we do not follow the path of Cain and that we are responding in true worship like Abel. God, as He did with Adam and Eve, asks questions. Again, not because He's seeking information. The Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. He lies to God. Am I my brother's keep keeper? And so God asks a second question. Look at verse 10. And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. See, God didn't need to know what Cain did. Cain needed to confess it. Cain needed to admit it. Cain needed to be humble. What 
Well, the crouching predator sin has successfully ambushed its prey. And Cain resists God's attempts to restore him. It's interesting, that idea of crouching sins where where Cain became the very predatory animal that he was told to avoid. Tim Keller says this in reference to this text. As long as you look at workaholism as conscientiousness, as long as you look at your grudge as moral outrage, as long as you look at materialism as ambition or arrogance as healthy self-assertion, as long as you look at your obsession with looks as good grooming, you're vulnerable, you're in denial. What are the crouching sins in your life? What Genesis does masterfully is illustrate the nature of sin. Independent action and an arrogant heart attitude towards the Creator. So let me ask you, is there any hope? What is wrong with the world? Sin. What, what causes the events of this week where you parade around a Jewish girl on a motorcycle in an abusive way? It's more than just racial tension. It's more than just gender disparity called sin. It's called the murderous, deadly nature of sin. Well, is there any hope? Yes. Let's look at the ultimate defeat of sin with our final five minutes. First, notice God's grace again. Look at verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? God already knew the heart posture of Cain. Do you know that's good news? God already knows your heart. God already knows this morning if you're bitter or if you're lustful or if you have things you're trying to suppress and you're trying to put forward this self-righteousness to everybody else and you're trying to suppress this dark hiddenness. Why are you angry, Cain? Why is your face fallen? It's interesting. Cain made a choice after being warned that did not lead to joy and peace. There is a hardening depression and indifference. God is basically saying in verse 4-7, you can still be accepted, Cain. He's telling Cain to go back and do what he should have done in the first place. Instead, he did something murderous. And so notice, secondly, not only God's grace in trying to restore Cain, but notice his judgment. This is going to be important. Genesis 4.10, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground. Similar to the curse we find in Genesis 3, the which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. God saw it. It's almost like the image of Abel laying there in the tilled soil and his blood seeping into the ground. And God says, his, his blood cries out to me. God is a God of justice. And, and part of us needs to fear that, and part of us needs to take great comfort in that. Any of you who have lived life long enough know the hurts and the injustices 
you and your family have endured. And do you know that every injustice, the picture here is it cries out to God. Every child that has been harmed, abused, cries out. It's an alarming picture, Abel's blood crying out from the place it was murdered. Similarly, God told Abraham this about Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 18, verse 20. God says to Abraham, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, there's this cry from this city that I've been hearing and it will not be silenced. I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. Injustices and sin cries out to a just God who cannot remain neutral. So what is our hope? Well, many years later, another man shows up who's not completely unlike Abel. And this man's blood also speaks out. It cries out justice. In a woe to the religious leaders recorded by both Matthew and Luke, Jesus says this to the scribes and Pharisees, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Jesus references the first murder as an indictment against Jewish leaders who hate and hide their murder under the banner of religion. Jude 11 says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. So what hope do we have since the Bible says the wages of sin is death? Let me read you a few scriptures. 1 John 3.5 Jesus appeared to take away, say it out loud, sin. See, that's the problem. If you don't identify what's wrong with the human race, you'll never be able to have the remedy for the problem. John 1.29, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the, the sin of the world. The very reason He was to be called Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. You are to give Him the name Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the writer of Hebrews says that we have not come to Mount Sinai, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Verse 21, Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses himself said, I tremble with fear. The writer of Hebrews says, You've not come to that mountain. You have come to Mount Zion. Hebrews 12.24, To Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and listen to this, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus' blood speaks. It 
cries out, justice. Well, justice for whom? Justice for all those who by genuine saving faith have placed their trust in Jesus for salvation. Jesus' blood cries out for justice. And it's by that blood that justice is satisfied, God's wrath appeased, and that we are reconciled. Francis A. Schaeffer said this, Abel's blood cries out, judgment, judgment, and God must judge because He is a holy God. If He shrugged His shoulders and walked away, there would be no moral absolute in the universe. Hebrews fortunately gives us further dimension There is another way, one rooted in the blood of Jesus, shed in history. This blood speaketh better things than that of Abel. The blood of Jesus goes beyond justice and offers mercy. It cries salvation on the basis of Jesus' death to all who will hear. Three more verses, and then we will close in prayer. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cain, why are you so angry? You can still be accepted. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, the appeasement of God's wrath for our sins. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you at peace this morning? Do you know the peace that can be obtained through Jesus Christ? A sin sacrifice for you so that you can receive His righteousness. Embrace this truth. Share this truth. Parents, communicate this truth in a way that maybe only you can to your children. That there is something truly wrong in this world. Your seven-year-old already knows that. Answer that for them. Speak into that for them. Don't overly shelter them so that they are overtaken by the evil one. Sin is the problem. Do you know what the remedy is? It's a good news remedy. And God would be unjust to ask for two sacrifices. If Jesus Christ is your sin sacrifice, His wrath is appeased, and no longer will your death spiritually eternally be required. Because Jesus already died for that. Let's pray.